Hello everyone. Welcome back to See the Sunrise. This is season three and episode six. Seeing the sunrise is about seeing Christ in everyday situations. We find in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 33 and verse three, the Lord talks to the prophet while he's in prison. He says to him, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Seeing the sunrise is an opportunity to see what God is doing behind the scenes, but also in the lives of everyday people like you and me. From the pulpit to the pew, we all have had various challenges and experiences that bring us to a need for Christ in our lives. Today, I wanna to talk about revival. And if we need anything today, the church, we need revival. And we probably have no idea how much we need it. We may be in the countdown, whether this is end of times or not, and I'm, I'm not talking end of times literature, but we know that time is, is going to come and we do not know if the zero hour is upon us. So I thought, who could give us a good message on revival? And I couldn't think of anyone better than the Ninevites. From the book of Jonah, chapter three, I'd like to read a few of those verses for you. It says, and I'm reading from verse one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, they put on sackcloth, and from the greatest to the least of them. And then the word came to the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. So, you know, you think about the book of Jonah, most prophetic books primarily contain speeches from the prophets that they're named after. Jonah, interestingly enough, has only one verse of prophecy in the entire book. And thus, the book of Jonah reads more like a story. Scholars believe that the message of Jonah reflects the situation for Israel during a time of the exile in Babylon. The exile was viewed as a time of punishment because the people had turned away from the Lord. I know this sounds like long-haired stuff, but you want to understand the context and the background to understand how we got to the place where the people of Nineveh are going to be destroyed. And we hear the part about them being delivered, but we don't understand that backdrop. Well, after the exile of the Israelites, Israel struggled with how to keep their identity as God's chosen people. Some thought it would be best to separate themselves from the people around them or the other nations, which unfortunately 
led to people who were going to be self-centered and unforgiving toward people who were not Jewish. You know anybody like that today? God had chosen the people of Israel to be a blessing to everyone. If you remember the covenant that God made with Abram back in Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, let me read it for you. You remember the covenant God made. He says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then it was in, he says, they would be a light to other nations. If we look at Isaiah chapter 49 and verse six, he said, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Do you hear those, those words there? It's, it's not about separating ourselves from others. God came. Salvation is for everyone. Jonah was written to challenge attitudes and to see how foolish it is to keep God to yourself. God is the God of all things. He is the God of all and can show mercy to whomever he chooses and to everyone, in fact, even our enemies. So it's important to understand the backdrop before I go forward with what happened in Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. They were a hated enemy of Israel. The Assyrians were so aggressive and destructive in power that they destroyed many around them. They were in the ancient Near East. When they conquered nations, they split up families and they sent them to different regions of the empire. They were never seen again. Assyria was hated by many people in the ancient world. And understandably, understandably, especially for the people of Israel, the 10 tribes of Israel that were taken from their homes by Assyria were completely destroyed. And some say never heard again or never heard from again. Yet God was sending Jonah to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria. God was showing overwhelming love and mercy to an enemy. That's why Jonah was mad at God because he was forgiving, he was forgiving Israel's hated enemy. Israel was jealous of their special relationship with God and they didn't want to share it with anybody. When you don't share your faith, you are basically going against God's will. God wants you to talk, he wants you to talk about him. He wants you to talk about why you believe in him. First Peter, Peter 3 and 15 tells us, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks the reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Some say that the city of Nineveh was so big that it took three days just to walk through it. As I said earlier, the only prophecy from the book of Jonah is found in Jonah 3 and 4. It says, after walking for a day, Jonah warned the people, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, the number 40 is significant in scripture. It generally symbolizes a period of testing, trial, uh, the fulfilling of God's promises, and even or probation. Overall, it's a number associated with testing 
and the hardships one must endure to become more spiritually aware. God called on Jonah to deliver a message to Nineveh, Israel's enemy, and Jonah didn't want to do it and decided he wasn't going to do it. There are some things that God wants you to do and you too have refused him. Notice I said him and not it, because when you refuse a command from God, you're not refusing the act, you're refusing him. Your reasoning may not be the same as Jonah's reasoning, but if you live for Christ, then you have an obligation, hear what I say, an obligation to do what he calls or tells you to do. One of the misnomers, I think, people think they're in control. We are not in control. As much as you think you're in control, you're not. God is in control. And if you are a child of God, which means you are committed to doing his will, you too will not escape from his will. Jonah ran, but God put him in a position where he simply couldn't say no. Not too long ago, my pastor preached a sermon about just saying no. But when it comes to God, saying no can land you in a similar situation like Jonah. It may not be a big fish, but it can stink just as bad. You'll find yourself isolated, in the dark, and not knowing what to do. But no matter how far you go, you are never far from God. He hears your cries. Even in the darkness or a stinking situation, or I'd like to call it stinking thinking, you know what that is, right? Rationalizing so that it sounds like a good idea and then blaming others versus focusing on what you should have done and resenting other people instead of a willingness to forgive or refusing to give others the benefit of the doubt. Those are stinking situations. It took a storm, a fish, and the dark isolation for Jonah to get his mind right. It was then and only then did Jonah pray. He prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. He said, in my trouble, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried out and you heard my voice. See, that's when Jonah got his mind right. You don't want to be caught in a stinking fish or more probably reasonably in a stinking or tough situation where you have to cry out because there's just no other way out. He got his mind right. And when he recognized that it was God and that God was great and he could do as he so pleased to whomever he pleased, even if it's your enemy, you don't have to like it. So it was after Jonah got his mind right, after he prayed, that Jonah got his release. Now, and only now, is he ready to go do the will of God. Although he doesn't do it, he still doesn't do it willingly. We often hear about Jonah, but what about the people of Nineveh? These hated Assyrians who were against God's people. I think you can learn a lot from anybody. Nineveh was about to hear some bad news, and no one likes bad news. And how you handle the news that you hear depends on many factors. Let's say you find out your significant other cheated on you, or that you've been fired from a job or lost your job, or maybe someone broke into your home or you just received a bad uh, medical diagnosis. You could fall out in despair and overanalyze it, making the situation bigger than it is, or you could choose to address it head on. When the king of Nineveh heard the prophecy from Jonah, his response was dread and despair, but he didn't sit down idly waiting for the sh other shoe to drop. He understood just how bad things could get, and he was fearful, but he wasn't hopeless. The writer in the book of Proverbs chapter 9 and 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. 
So what we hear from the king of Assyria, we hear a message from a penitent king. I'm not sure where you are in your 40 days of Lent, but here are some things you can learn from a remorseful, sorrowful king. I call it a recipe for revival. And if there's anything this world needs today, as I said earlier, it's a revival, a strengthening in your spirit so you can become spiritually active and in strength and powerfully walk out your faith again. And just like any dish you want to come out well, you have to have the right ingredients. And there is a recipe for revival. And actually, so many people preach about Jonah, but actually this recipe comes from the people of Nineveh. And so here are the ingredients that they use for their revival. First, it was acceptance. In verse five, after they heard that message from Jonah, the, the word says, so the people of Nineveh believed God. If you believe in God's word, then you accept everything it says and you will do what it tells you to do. The second part of that ingredients for revival is you've got to believe God. The people believe the message. You can hear the word of God and you can choose to take some parts and then just throw some parts away, but they believe the message. And so when they believe the message, they believe God and they believe what God could do. The next recipe or the next ingredient for the recipe is repentance. When the king heard what was happening, see the people believe first, but when the king heard what was happening, he joined them. He didn't get all caught up in himself. He joined with the people and called a fast for everyone including the animals, he too, in a very public way, demonstrated that he is not above obeying God, neither are we. The next ingredient is pride. You got to get rid of pride. If you really want a revival, that's that moral cleansing or getting rid of, rid of behaviors aimed at, you know, that, that, that destroy and make you think you're better or bigger than you are. And the whole idea of getting rid of pride is like a moral cleansing behaviors aimed at restoring moral self-worth in response to past sins or transgressions. And so the king was able to get rid of his pride. He could have said, when the people heard the message first, he could have said, I'm the king, you believe what I say. But no, he didn't. He joined them. He understood the severity of his actions and he understood the severity of the actions of his people. And he realized the whole camp needed to be cleansed of sin everybody. They were unified. They came together and believed and they put their efforts together to accomplish a, a, a favor from God. And then the other ingredient is examining yourself. How hard is it for privileged people to be penitent? It's, it's, it's very hard when you think you have everything and you're able to get everything. But recall the message of the story of the rich young ruler in Matthew 19. Jesus was talking to him. He, he was telling how he had done all these great things and whatever. And so Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give it to the poor and thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, when you can have things, but the things shouldn't have you. Although that that gentleman had the, out of that rich young ruler had all this stuff and all the good things he had done when he was asked to get rid of all of those things that were precious to him, his treasure. He says, where your treasure is, there's your heart. He couldn't let it go. Only you can examine yourself and understand where you are in your faith and in your walk and what God is calling you to do. 
And then the final ingredient that the Ninevites um, had for revival was prayer. The prayers of the people in, in, in verse 8b, it says, let everyone call urgently on God. Notice they didn't hesitate. They weren't apprehensive. They cried out to God. He said, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. What granted the Ninevites success wasn't what Jonah did. It was what they did. They believed God. They were unified in action. From the greatest to the least, they repented. They laid aside their pride. They examined their acts and finally they prayed and waited on God to grant them mercy. They were unified in their efforts. It reminds me of 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. It may be familiar to many of you. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. You wonder why you haven't gotten any breakthroughs? Why God hasn't heard your prayers? Take a note from a hated people who turned from evil and turned to God, God who is God. They didn't turn to their power, their money, their status. They turned to the one who is God and who was able to grant them mercy, forgiveness, and favor. We're still in the period of sacrifice in these 40 days of Lent, and I pray God has already given you some breakthroughs. Through fasting from food, we learn that man does not live by bread alone. Whatever you've let go of, I hope you realize that it is something you were relying on instead of the one whom we can have total reliance, dependence, and trust. The Ninevites went from a straying people to a praying people. Their cries to God caused the city to be spared destruction. Riches aren't enough. God calls us to be righteous. I pray that as you continue in this time of sacrifice, with everything that's going on in the world, and most recently the war in Ukraine, as people of faith, our heart has to bleed for those who are suffering. I saw Christians kneeling in the snow in frigid temperatures in Ukraine, calling out to God, asking for deliverance. I pray that we will join with them in their prayers, asking God for relief. You know, prayer is powerful. And we as people of faith, we have to use the weapons of warfare that we have for us. For they are mighty unto God for the pulling down of strongholds. Yes, Russia may be a powerful nation. But we serve a powerful God who can do anything but fail. Until next time, brothers and sisters, keep the faith. God is in control. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. Blessed be his holy name. God bless you all. Seek to live a life of peace and be sure to see the sunrise, to see Christ in your everyday situations.